All right, we're going to read one verse before we're seated, and we're going to pray. And I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to, we're doing what I call a twofer, a twofer. I, I don't have a series on my heart until the first of the year. And the first of the year on Sundays, I'm going to begin one called The Apprentice. And I'm going to, I tell you, it's, it might be, and I know I'm, I don't mean to sound um, melodramatic, and I'm not trying to overhype it, but the topic is probably the most important topic I've ever preached on because it has to do with Christians becoming disciples. And I've been around the church long enough, and all I'm going to say about it is this. I've been around the church long enough to know that um, for a lot of people, they never enjoy what God intended through Christianity because they never enter a life of discipleship. They remain cultural Christians, and their minds are never renewed, and they never really lay hold of what God had for them and has for them. So I'm going to go into apprenticeship, and that God, through Christ, intended for every one of us to not only be saved, redeemed, but also discipled. And that's going to be heavy stuff for a Sunday morning. It may preach some people out may preach some people in. But I want to talk to you tonight about something that I've had to deal with so many times in my life, and that is how to deal with dream busters. How many of you in here have a dream? You believe God has something for you. Let me see you raise your hand. You believe God's got a purpose for you. How many of you can say there's something I really want that I believe God has for me? All right. How many of you have ever had a dream buster? You had a dream, and Lordy, what happened to it? All right? Dream busters. How do you deal with dream busters? Because they're always going to come. So let's uh, look at Genesis 22, verses 6 through 8. And I've got it up here so that we can read it together. And let's do that. Can you read it with me, everybody? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, I want to see how many of you were listening in the Names of God series. What name of God came out of this? Jehovah Jireh. This is where Jehovah Jireh originated. The name, the compound name of God, Jehovah Jireh, came from this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. I believe, Lord, that within this room are treasures. Every person in here called of you. And I pray, help us, Lord, to not just receive the call and be aware of the call but to apprehend the call and to enjoy the fulfillment of the dream and the purpose and the vision that you have for every one of us. I pray that dream busters and dream stealers will not succeed in taking the dream from the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. I want to Quickly, you know the background of this, these verses. Um, 
God has promised Abraham a son. He was about 75 years old when he promised him this son. And, of course, everything that God told Abraham about his life was dependent upon an heir or a son. There had to be a child or everything God told him, which was, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. You're going to become a mighty nation. Uh, Everything that God spoke over Abraham was contingent upon a child being born. And so for 25 years, Abraham learned to walk by faith. He was 100 when Isaac was born and Sarah was 90. It was a miracle child. And when Isaac was born, they named him Laughter. And how many of you have ever had God bless you in a way that all you could do was literally just laugh? Have you ever had one of those laughing experiences where God blessed you so strong, so ridiculously that you just laughed? I've had a few of them. I'll take a few more. You know what? When I walk in this building, this makes me want to laugh. I mean, I say, look what God has done. Amen? Laughter is what they called him because when Isaac was born, it was just unbelievable. And all they could do was laugh at the miraculous power of God. Now, time has gone on. Isaac is a teenager. He's a young man. And God speaks to him this incredibly difficult, trying, testing word. I want you to take your son, your dream, your vision, your purpose, your joy, your love, and I want you to sacrifice it. That's a tough call, y'all. We can hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God all day long, but you wait till God comes to you and says, give up something of high value, what you love, your dream, your joy, let it go. Trust me, leave it into my hands, turn loose. And if you don't turn loose, you're going to be prevented from something I've got for you. You will hinder the work of God. So you got to let go. I'm going to tell you, church, the Christian walk is as much a part of letting go as it is taking hold. There are some things you'll never be able to take hold of until you let go of something else. There's a monkey in Africa. I read about it just recently. This is really true. There is a type of monkey in Africa that reaches through what I read was a gourd, a G-O-U-R-D, a gourd, reaches into a gourd to get, uh, to get something that it desires to eat in the gourd. And to, to reach into it, uh, uh, he's able to get his hand into this gourd uh, to get the food. But when he grabs the food, his fist is way too big to pull it back out. And so, so this is the way that these monkeys are captured all the time because natives who are trying to capture these monkeys will put food in these gourds and they'll make a hole just big enough for this little monkey to get his hand into. But when he's got his fist full of this food, he can't get his hand back out. And when he sees his captors coming, he wants what he's got hold of so bad, he won't let go. And they grab him with a fistful of food. When to be free, all he'd have to do is let 
Go. But he won't let go. Here comes his captors, and they just grab him. And he's holding on the whole time. Holding on. I ain't letting go of this. I've got hold of it. I'm not going to release it. And that's the way we are. That's just the way we are. Because God says there are certain liberties and freedoms you're not ever going to know, certain blessings you're not going to ever attain to unless you let go. You think you're winning keeping hold of some things when actually you're losing keeping hold of some things. This is a fact of life. And so Abraham's promise, you think he wasn't hanging on to Isaac? You think he didn't love that boy with all of his being? Oh, yeah. He was a real man, normal man. Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac. But God spoke this heavy word to him, and he said, You know what, Abraham? You're going to have to let go and sacrifice him. So Abraham's promise, his God-given dream, his hope, his vision, went through three stages And these three stages are what I have seen in walking with the Lord since I was 18 years old. I've seen this pattern repeated over and over and over over again. I see it in the Bible, and I've seen it in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of people who really went on with God. The dream, the death of a dream, and the resurrection of a dream. The acquisition of a dream... Or the receiving of a dream, you know that God has something for you. And then that dream goes through a death, a seeming death. And then that dream is resurrected, not by might and not by power, but by the Holy Ghost of God. That dream is resurrected. This is as biblical as anything in the Word of God. And so it was with Joseph. It was exactly the same way. He received a dream. He went through the death of a dream, and then his dream was resurrected in the power of God when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and got let out of prison. David, hands laid on him as a teenager, about 16, 17 years old. You're going to be king, David. And next thing he knows, he's running on the backside of a desert from a madman for over 10 years, the death of a dream, and then the resurrection of the dream by the power of God, and he became king. Moses the same way. You go through the Bible and you read all the Bible characters. They all went through this acquisition of a dream or receiving of a dream. Then the seeming death of the dream. And then the resurrection of the dream by the power of God that the dreamer could never take credit for what happens. Amen. Now I want to just establish tonight first that our God gives dreams and visions. Do you believe that? Do you believe when God saved you, he looked at you and said, what are we going to do with him? What are we going to do with her? No. In the fullness of time, God saved you and he knew, I got to tell you now, hear me on this, he knew exactly what he wanted to do with you. He knew exactly the way he wired you. He knew exactly what he had called you to do and purposed you to do and designed you to do and destined you to do. You are not a mistake or a mishap or a second thought. I don't care under what circumstances you were born. James Robinson is the product of a rape. 
Do you think that God looked at James and said, I don't know what I'm going to do with him? No. No. Anything the devil means for evil, our God can turn it for the good. And, and I want you to know that God's got something for you. Our God gives dreams and visions. I, I, I want you to understand with me tonight, it was one of the greatest revelations of my life that when I got saved, God had something in mind just for me. And it changed my life. I went from feeling like a evolutionary mishap where evolution just sort of spit me into life by mistake to understanding that God had a call on me, that God formed me in my mother's womb, that God had a purpose for me, and he does for everyone. And I, would, I wish I could tell the whole world this because it's true. Now, our God gives dreams and visions. Let's look at Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. This is the most familiar, one of the most familiar passages on, on um, God having a vision for us. But read this with me, can you? Joel 2, 28. And afterward, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. Your old men will what? Dream dreams. And your young men will what? So if you're having dreams, you're old. If you're having visions, you're young. But I want you to notice that right here, he says, in the last days, says God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And when I do that, the, the, the presence of the Holy Ghost resting on people is going to produce dreams and visions. Peter didn't know he was called until Jesus pointed to him and said, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, the rock. And I'm going to change you. He said to the disciples, follow me, and I'm going to make you to become something. You would never have been without me. Follow me, and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. You are what you are now, but you are not what you shall be when I'm done with you. Because I've got something in mind for you. And it's glorious, and it's wonderful, and I don't care... If you go out and make a billion dollars in a capitalistic system and you live in a mansion, if you miss the call of God, you are poor. Jesus said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I want you to know that I've got a purpose for you. So here you go, dreams and visions. The, the Holy Spirit falling on people is going to bring dreams and visions. So I believe the closer you get to Jesus, the more you walk with him, the more you spend time in the Word. You cannot escape the fact that God will begin to talk to you about your life. He will. And you'll begin to hear and sense calls and beckonings and promptings from the Spirit of God. And He'll begin to deal with you as an individual, a unique person. There's not another one like you. And He knows you. And He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your needs. He knows your IQ. He knows your personality. He knows your characteristics. He knows your genetic code. And the more you spend time with Jesus, the more He's going to be speaking to you about your individual destiny and your calling and your purpose in him you will not be able to escape it to know that there is an exciting purpose for your life 
I tell you, it, that's one of the things that makes your blood boil in a good way. I call it Holy Ghost heartburn. It's Holy Ghost heartburn. And I've got a case of it, and I've had a, a case of it for, since I was 18 years old. Holy Ghost heartburn comes from God touching your heart, calling you into his purposes, dealing with you as an individual, speaking to you. It brings anticipation. It brings expectancy. It brings motivation. You are pregnant on the inside. I see some people, spiritually, they're waddling around just like this. They're pregnant because they've got vision, purpose. They're pregnant. Some people are just beginning to conceive, just beginning to understand that God's got something for them. But one of the things that I want happening in this church on a mass scale is I want the people of God realizing he's got something for me. He calls me by my name. He calls me by my name. Jeff, Rod, Gretchen, David, Tamara, Julie. He calls you by your name. He knows you. When this begins to happen to you, you realize you're not a spectator standing on the riverbank watching life go by. Christianity is not a spectator sport. But you're in a divine stream. You're in a divine flow. And many others are flowing in that stream with you. We've got millions behind us and millions in front of us. And the stream is the eternal plan and purposes of God that began when Jesus first said in eternity past, I will go and die for them. I will pay the price for them. I will die in their stead and I will rise from the dead so that they can be raised from the dead. And I will call them into the eternal plan of salvation and redemption. And all of us have a, an equal part in that, but we also have an individual part in that. And please understand with me tonight that most dreams and visions from God are going to experience a seeming death. It was amazing to me. When I got spirit-filled and began to walk with God when I was 18 years old, man, I was visioned from head to toe. I, I was 130 pounds of vision. I mean, I was skinny as a rail. I was a toothpick. I was terribly skinny. But you know what? I was filled with vision. I mean, God packed every bit of vision he could in 130 pounds. And I was excited. And I just knew, next week it's all going to happen. Next week I'm going to experience everything that I'm seeing right now. Going to the nations, speaking to the multitudes. I know it's all going to happen. I'm ready, Jesus. Here we go. And instead, I entered the death of a vision. I entered training camp, boot camp. And I went through a death. Your dream may live for a long time in here before you ever see it out here. I want you to listen to what it says about Mary. When she received that word about Jesus, it says she hid these things or kept these things in her heart. That word kept comes from the, a Greek word that is like somebody watching over their money lest anybody steal it. She kept, guarded, watched over, protected the Word of God. 
And that's what you got to do. Because you're going to go into training. You're going to go into preparation. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a desert when he knew he was called to deliver God's people. David spent 10 years in the wilderness fleeing from King Saul after he had been anointed by the greatest prophet in the land that he was the next king. Yet 10 years, not just the death of a vision, the opposite of the vision. Abraham, we've already mentioned, waited 25 years for the fulfillment of his vision. Say, well, Pastor Jeff, encourage me. I'm not saying yours is going to be 25 years from now. (laughs) I hear some of you going, 25 years? I'm, I'm telling you a principle. It's a principle. Everybody say with me, principle. I'm not putting a timer on it. God's got his timer on your dream. I'm just showing you that these men of God in the Bible went through the dream, the death of the dream, and then the resurrection of the dream. Joseph dreams that he's going to be over people with great authority and power. And then for years and years to come, he sees not just the death of his vision, but the opposite of his vision as he spends all that time in prison for something he didn't do. When we look at these men, it can even appear, as I've already said, that the exact opposite. It's confusing if you don't understand the ways of God. Not only is your dream not happening, but it looks like the opposite may be happening. You know, I really miss God, not necessarily. You can miss God, but not necessarily. It's important to understand that God does not dangle carrots in front of us that we can never have. God is not a divine tease. God does not promise something to us he does not intend to give. The purpose for these seasons where it looks like you're having the death of your dream or the death of your vision is because you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared for the vision. You've got to be prepared in your faith in your maturity level, and in your character. Or I'm going to tell you a secret. If you're not prepared, what God showed you, what you're aspiring to, would destroy you. So we've got to understand that when we pray, God can say one of three things. He can say yes, he can say no, he can say wait, or he can say you've got to be kidding. I'm just throwing that out. You ever prayed a prayer where you can feel God saying, you've got to be kidding me. But now, here's the deal. He'll say yes, he'll say no, or he'll say wait. I like yes, I don't like no, and I don't like wait. But God is a God who will call us to wait. Because if he did not call us to wait so that he could prepare us, our dream could destroy us. Understand this about God. Our God is a God who sees the end before it begins. And this, if you understand this about God, then this all makes more sense. Our God sees the end of a thing before it even begins. Jehovah God declares the end of a thing, then he begins its beginning. He steps to the very end and he says, let me show you what I have for you. He says, oh, hallelujah, next week. And God says, no, now let's step back and let the beginning begin. Because there's your goal, but between the fulfillment and the beginning is a journey of preparation. And I have got to prepare you so that what I showed you doesn't destroy you, but you're able to handle it when it comes.
Because listen, folks, what God gives is powerful, powerful stuff. And you know what? It takes gifting and talent to get you into a ministry, but it takes character to keep you there. It takes faith to bring something powerful into your life, but it takes character to handle what faith can bring. Don't shout me down, everybody. I can always tell when the wheels are turning. To understand this about God, it's, it's very helpful because this is why we don't step immediately into our dream. He's got to prepare us. He showed David that he was going to be king. And like I said, it took 10 years for him to get there. Abraham, that you're going to have a son and become a mighty nation, took 25 years for Abraham to learn to walk by faith. Joseph dreamed of being in a place of authority, but it took years and years for Joseph to be ready where God could call him out of that prison and say, here you go, put the ring on his finger and put the authority in his hand. Neither Abraham or David or Moses or Joseph could have handled the fulfillment of what God had for them if God had not prepared them. He knows what's in you, and he knows what's in me. And you know what, folks? Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what's in us. We don't know where we need to be strengthened. We don't know the character deficiencies like God does. So God, in his goodness, he doesn't want to destroy you with a blessing. So he'll prepare you. Y'all with me tonight? Finally, into God's, in God's timing, they stepped into the fullness of their purpose. And it's going to be the same with us and our dreams and desires and purposes in God. Now I want to share with you quickly three dream busters. Three dream busters. The first one is time. While you're waiting... From the dream to the fulfillment, you're in preparation. You're on the road of preparation. God is strengthening your faith, shoring up your character, growing you into spiritual maturity. You're being seasoned for your season. And, and God is dealing with you. And you got to trust Him. And you got to give Him the outcome. And you got to give Him what's in your heart. And you got to trust Him with your Isaacs. You got to give them to Him. And the first dream buster that will really come and try to derail you from continuing in your faith towards your purpose and your goal is time. Time. Having to wait longer than you thought. And you know why you're having to wait longer than you thought? Because you're finite and you're a human being and you are you. And God's already informed us, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the clouds and the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. You can't even know my ways. I am indiscernible. We only understand about God what he has decided to show us. That's it. So God is working things out. In his providential wisdom, his timing, that we will never comprehend this side of heaven. We'll never know. We'll never understand it. And the longer I go on in God, the more peace it brings me just to be able to say, I don't understand. 
I don't understand what you're doing. That's why it says trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because most of the time you're not going to get it. Neither am I. His ways, the Bible says, are unfathomable. They are past finding out. You're never going to know it. So you just trust him. You trust him. Listen to what Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3 says when it has to do with timing. Can we read it together? This is out of the Message Bible. I just had to use this. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. What's in your heart. What's in your heart is what is coming if it's from God. Isn't that cool? That vision God put in your heart, that's what's coming. It begins in here and it works itself out here. Now watch this. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. Now I wanted to show you, see that appointed time? That's out of the New King James. The vision message, the New King James, the King James calls it appointed time. And what it means is an appointment or a fixed time, the time for its fulfillment is firmly fixed in God's mind. It's an appointment on his calendar. So when God gives you a dream, when God gives you a purpose, when God puts something in you and says, that's for you, there's a timer attached to it. And it's an appointed time. And it's on God's calendar. And it's usually way down from what you would pick. Way down the road. Because God knows i got to get their character shored up. They're going to have to grow. Their faith is going to have to get strengthened. I'm going to have to teach them and all kinds of little, uh, little uh, uh, experiences and smaller life experiences. Uh, how, to, uh, how to handle this when it comes. And I'm going to be dealing with them. And we are all on the potter's wheel. And he is shaping us and molding us and preparing us, fashioning us for the appointed time. And when it's time, no devil in hell will stop it. When it's time, no flesh on earth will stop it. When it's time, it will come. It will come and it will not tarry. Amen? Until then, you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And you don't lean to your own understanding. You acknowledge him in all your ways, and he's going to direct your path. And when his providential timing arrives, it will come. To everything, it says there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time. Praise God. God says it's going to come in my time. Meantime, live by faith. And how many let their dreams go because they simply faint from waiting? Listen to 1 Peter 5, 6. Let's put it up here and read this with me, can you? So be content with who you are. Read it out loud with me, everybody. And don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you when? At the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Isn't that a great verse? I love that. Be content with who you are. 
Look in the mirror and say, God don't make no junk. Be content with who you are. Then Hebrews 6.12, let's put that up there. And uh, I love this one. Can you read it with me? In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitators, behaving as do those who through faith, by their leaning of the entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness, and by practice of patient endurance and waiting are now inheriting the promises. Faith and patience inherits the promises. Sluggish or sluggard means dull. It's a picture of a candle that once burned brightly but is now only a flicker. Or a kitchen knife that's lost its cutting edge and it's dull. He's saying while you're between the dream and the fulfillment and you're in preparation, don't become dull. Don't faint. Don't let your flame go out. Now, here's the second danger to a dream. We doing good? Everybody say amen. amen. Here's the second, the second dream buster, cynicism. I want you to say it with me, can you? Cynicism. Now, let me read you the, the, the Webster's definition of a cynic because there's a lot of cynics in churches these days, and I understand how it happened. But let me tell you what it means, cynic. A cynic is a fault-finding critic. One who has a sneering disbelief in sincerity or integrity. One who begins to doubt the sincerity or the motives of others. To the cynic, people are game players and manipulators only. Nothing is real or done out of pure and good motives. Cynic. A cynic. When I say that word cynic, it's like acid acidic, cynic. They'll sit in a church and pick everything apart. They'll sit in a church and pick everybody apart. They'll sit in church and pick the preacher apart. They'll pick the building apart. They'll pick the programs apart. And if you live with a cynic, God bless you and help you because they pick you apart. The cynic sits back and says, nobody's real. Nobody has true motives. Nobody has a good, pure motive. Everything has got an angle. Everything has got a a hidden motive. Cynic. They're acidic. If you live around a cynic, if if you don't handle it with wisdom, they're going to turn you negative. I'll tell you, I've gotten to where I won't spend time with somebody cynical. I won't spend time with somebody negative. Life's too short. I like to get around people that say positive things. Because you can always pick something apart. Lord, they picked Jesus apart, and he was perfect. But cynicism will bust your dream. You know why? Because you go sour. You go sour on God. You go sour on people. And it begins to eat away at your faith. Cynicism. You can read about some cynicism in the life of, believe it or not, the great prophet Elijah. Fleeing from Jezebel, he ends up under a juniper tree and he prays this way, it's enough, Lord, now, it's enough. Take my life. In other words, he wasn't going to kill himself, but he was asking God to do it for him. It's enough now, Lord. Take my life. His dream had slipped from him. 
His dream had faded. To deliver Israel from the snare of Baalism is what he was raised up to do. To turn them to the true and the living God away from worshiping false idols. But when he had thought that he had finally completed it, finally done it, and brought the whole nation to his knees, Jezebel, that wicked queen, said, may God do so to me and more so if I don't kill you by tomorrow morning. And Elijah, who had brought a whole nation to his knees in repentance and slaughtered 500 prophets of Baal, ran from a woman. That's what you call tired, weary, drained. And what was his problem? Here's what he told God. I alone am left. I'm the only real Christian in the whole world. Nobody believes in holiness anymore. Nobody believes in the Word anymore. Nobody. I alone, oh God. Mm, you can almost see him playing the violin. Because you know when you're depressed and you're down and you're drained, everything looks worse. And he's saying, I alone am left. You know what that is? Cynicism. There's nobody left, Lord, who believes like I do. Sometimes I do feel that way. Do you? Every once in a while I feel that way. Watch a little bit of Christian TV or whatever you go. What in the world? But that's another story. But have you ever just said, you know, am I the only one left that believes in the Bible anymore? Am I the only one left who believes in God, who preaches the blood, who wants to walk in holiness? Am I the only one left? It's easy to do. I'm the only one who's really seeking you, said Elijah, really going on with you. Everybody else, I can hear him, is insincere. Everybody else. And here's what, here's what you got to realize. We're going to see humanity in all of its imperfections. All of us are. We're going to see faults. We're going to see mistakes in everybody God uses. Uh, give, uh, I'll give you 15 minutes with the person next to you, and you find a fault in 15 minutes. We're all imperfect. And the person who says they're not imperfect has just shown us how imperfect they really are. Everybody makes mistakes. It doesn't mean they're not real. I can tell you, I love God. I don't love God perfectly, but I love God sincerely. We're never going to be perfect, but we can be sincere. And you know what? Let me tell you the truth about church, any church. I don't care where it is. Everybody in that church is a hypocrite somewhere. Not me, Pastor Jeff. I walk tall and straight. I obey that word. I'm not a hypocrite. Yeah, you are. Somewhere, somewhere, you're a hypocrite. I'm not saying because that's true, don't do anything about it. But I'm saying we're all imperfect. We all fail. We all fall short. And we're all hypocritical somewhere. And that's why we need the blood and the grace of God every day. When you grow sour towards Christians, listen, when you grow sour towards Christians, Christian leaders, etc., you sour towards the reality of Christianity. If you say they're all phony, you don't know it, but that's going to begin to affect your relationship with God. When you say nobody's real, none of it's real, 
Nobody's sincere. I'm the only one. It's just a game. Everybody's playing. It's a religious game. It sours you to your dream. I was uh, in a church once, years and years ago, before I ever senior pastored. And Kathy and I, uh, at this particular time, I had graduated from University of North Texas, and we were seeking God for His purposes for us, and, and uh, we were in a real in-between place, a real valley place. We were between the dream and the fulfillment. And I was going to a church that was booming, exploding, being blessed, and yet we were very good friends with a staff member, very good friends with him. Matter of fact, uh, he married us, married me and Kathy. We were good friends with him, and he was on staff, and he went sour on this church. And because we were good friends, we would get together in their living room. He didn't mean to do anything. He didn't mean anything by it. But he began to dump on us cynicism about the staff, about the pastor, about a lot of what was going on. And I began to realize one day I woke up and I, I found that I was having difficulty going to that church because of what he was telling me. And I said, Lord, what in the world's going on? And he said, you've been tainted by cynicism. And it's affecting your dream, your ability to seek God. It was, it was affecting my ability to receive from God in that house. Now, was some of what he was telling me true? Probably. But that didn't mean God wasn't still blessing it and didn't still want me to receive from it. And I woke up one day after I realized this, and I realized I was going to have to make a strong decision. I was going to have to say to this friend, I can't listen to you anymore because your cynicism is polluting me. I can't listen to you anymore. I'm not a part of the problem or the solution. If you're having these issues, you need to go to whoever you're having the issue with. I'm not your dumping ground. Because the cynicism, his cynicism, nobody's real. Nobody's in it for the Lord. They're all in it for this and that and the other, was beginning to affect me. And so, you know what it did? It broke that friendship. Because he took offense that I wouldn't listen to it anymore. But I had a, I had a choice, y'all. I had a choice to live spiritually and seek God unencumbered by a cynical spirit or choose that friendship and go under with it and miss God. Within a few months after I made that decision, God broke through in our life and led us to pastor our first church. And I, I hate to think if I had sat and listened to this cynicism day after day until finally I left that church. Because it was through that church I got sent to pastor my first church. And so God gave us eyelids, we can close them. He didn't give us earlids. Bleep, bleep, bleep. So you got to walk away. And so I'm sharing this with you out of the crucible of my own experience. Cynicism can spoil your dream. You can't get around that spirit. If you've got a dream, get around people who say, I believe in that dream. I believe in you. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's see it come to pass. I'm with you. I'm for you. And they're speaking faith into your life. And did I love him and them? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was tough. But it forced me to make a decision. 
Listen to people who edify you. Listen to people who build your faith. Hang around with people who are lifting up the Lord. Don't let somebody's cynicism or negativity ruin your dream. People are going to fail you. They're going to disappoint you. It's a guarantee. They're going to disillusion you. People are. But don't let it bust your dream. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me. Everybody in Asia has let me down. Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and I finished my course and fought a good fight and kept the faith. I did not let them bust my dream. Now, the last thing I want to tell you about a dream buster. Are you all with me tonight? Getting anything out of this? All right. The third dream buster is failure to sustain the inward fire in your own heart. You know, I I love this time of year because it's time where you can make fires in the fireplace. How many of you like fires in the fireplace? Most people do. And you know, you know what? If the fire goes out in my fireplace, what would you think of me if I went next door and banged on the door and said, why did you let the fire go out in my fireplace? You know what they say to me? It's your fire. It's your house. It's your flame. It's your fault. It's the same way with the fire of God inside of us, that fire of first love, that fire of zeal, that, that, that time when God touches your heart and your heart begins to burn with an internal flame like the bush that burned that Moses saw but it was not consumed. It's that fire from God. There's an old song we used to sing, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, 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 give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, 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 keep me burning till the break of day. You know what, everybody? You are the keeper of your flame. If the flame goes out in your heart, it wasn't your neighbor, it wasn't your mama, it wasn't me. It wasn't pastoral staff, it wasn't your church. It was you. It was me. There's one fire you're responsible for, and that's the fire that burns in your heart. You know what? You're going to have as much Holy Ghost heartburn as you want. Now, how many of you know what a bellows is? You know what a bellows is? Those things, that, those old-fashioned instruments where you would do this and it would blow air into that fire. It looked like an accordion. You know what? Here is God's bellow. Right here. Here it is. And every time you open it up, here's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. You open it up, and I can just hear the fire crackling out of these pages. I can just hear the fire snapping and popping in these pages. Somebody is still going to make me a Bible that when I open it up, they designed it where a light comes on. And I'm going to open it up right in front of you. Because this is the fire. Jeremiah said, your word is like a hammer, and it's like a fire. And Jeremiah said, I wanted to stop preaching, but I couldn't because your word was like a fire shut up in my bones, and I could not keep it in. So when you feel the flame flicker, grab the bellow and start, and don't come out until you're burning again, until your faith is hot again, until your zeal is boiling again, until you're excited about Jesus again. 
Don't come out until you're hot again. Hallelujah. So let's stand together, can we? Say with me. Amen. Come on, Tom. Thank you. Say with me, I'm not going to let time or cynicism or fading zeal rob my dream. Your dream is kept alive as your heart is on fire. If it's taken longer than you thought, trust God with all of your heart. And don't let the cynicism and negativity of other people bust your dream. Get where people are speaking faith into your life. Father, we thank you that for every one of these dream busters, there is an answer. There's a dream builder. Lord, we thank you that though it takes longer than we thought, we can still trust you. Thank you, Lord, that cynicism and negativity doesn't need to rob us. And thank you, Lord, that when the flame begins to flicker, we can still stoke that fire and rebuild it again through your word. Now I want to pray, Lord, for the dream of everybody in here. Every dream from God resting in every heart. That, Lord, you will keep it strong as Mary kept the word and protected it in her heart. And help us to be people who walk in discipleship that we may apprehend that for which you apprehended us. Now, as Tom begins to sing, I want you to take a moment and I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I give you my dream. I give you my desire. I give you what you put in my heart. I lay it on the altar. And I trust you with it. Take a moment and pray. For you, his faith.